wedding. Webster's Dictionary defines wedding as the fusing of two metals with a hot torch. Well, you know something? I think you guys are two metals. Gold medals. <laughs> the very famous quote from Sir Michael Scott from The Office. Hello, everybody. It is Wine and Jesus. This is Gio and Jin. And I bet you guys can guess what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Any guesses? <laughs> Michael mm. Scott in The Office. Marriage. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to talk biblical marriage. Mm. Um, and so I gave Gio the task of having to be able to define why marriage is applicable in today's culture and how we got the traditions that we did. Mm, interesting. So to do that, I mean, you got to go back to the beginning. So <laughs> In the beginning. Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. But really, you were, I'm going to read the definition Get according it. to Webster. <laughs> By the way, who's this Webster dude? Like, is it really like somebody who wrote the dictionary? His last name was Webster or something? He Yeah, his last, his last name was Webster, but he probably just like was really into vocabulary so he didn't have many friends apparently i like how we just don't say the dictionary it's like webster's webster's dictionary because there's probably like frank's dictionary and it's like <laughs> but webster's <laughs> the only one that knew what he was doing clearly <laughs> so okay the definition of marriage according to whatever dictionary you want to google is the legally or formally recognized union of two people as partners in personal relationship historically in some jurisdictions specifically a union between a man and a woman so michael scott's definition was a little bit more lively <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> But, I, so I just wanted to read, like, what the definition yeah. was so we could kind of level set. Like, we, you know, we as humans, I'll call us, try to, like, put a definition on everything yep. and a category on everything. So that's what we've done with marriage. And we have this big event or big to-do for most weddings to where females feel like they have to have the right dress and you have to have <laughs> all of these guests that you haven't seen in 20 years that would never know your name if you <laughs> changed yeah. it it's, it's it's the most stress on the poor woman it, like, it's ever. a lot of stress yeah. and i'm just i want to know why like well. <laughs> <laughs> why is it necessary society so i mean i know we have to go back to the beginning i know yeah. time, but yeah, um like, really, like, where the Bible, I feel like, mm -hmm. calls out marriage because that's where it originates. And it really originated in Genesis 2. In Genesis 2.18, um, it says, God declared that it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So, see, I mean, like, even God knew women were awesome. <laughs> this guy needs help is what he's saying. <laughs> so, really, from my research, you know, God sketched his original plan for marriage in Genesis 2 when Adam and Eve united together to become one flesh, mm -hmm. describing marriage in a sense as a covenant or an unbreakable bond between two people is how people interpret the story um, of how Eve became. So, I'm just going to read Genesis um, 2.22 through 2.25. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Too many two, 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 two. It's a long day. I work at a bank. <laughs> too many numbers. And wine. Um, well, and I don't even have that. So, <laughs> <laughs> then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So I do have a random question with that. So like she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So mm. you add woe to the front of man. There has to be some like geeky geo origin oh, thing that you know about that. <laughs> whoa, man. Um, I know 
Is it? I honestly don't know. Because I, I feel like what they did was they just made the man better. If they're like, hey, we're going to tack whoa, on this additional man. whoa. Like, well. <laughs> now the man's whoa. Interesting is, like, the term human is, like, a, a man that's hewed down. And so I wonder what if, if a woman is, like, a man that gives you a lot of whoa. Because they're always pestering you. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I honestly have no idea, and I know I should know that, mm-hmm. but I have no idea what what the woe is from. Homework assignment. All right, next podcast we will we'll tune back into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so interesting. Um, well, number one, they were both naked and no shame. So homie was clearly packing some heat downstairs, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you always have to go there. Well, I mean, clearly he's the first human. He's probably awesome. Uh, number two, I like how God is like, it's no bueno to be alone. I'm going to make somebody suitable for him, not just an animal, but a fellow human. Because, um, yeah, it, it's kind of cool. He needed a friend. <laughs> and um, and then also, this is the main note I had, but the woman came from where? Body part-wise from Adam. His rib. His rib, his side, exactly. And the same word that's used there is the same uh, word that was translated into the Greek, um, referring to, number one, when Jesus was stabbed in the side on the cross and water and blood came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And then number two, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was John, reclined in Jesus' side, the same word. Um, so all these terms are kind of trying to bring the biblical mind back to this idea of the closest part of a person was at their side or in their in their bosom if you will and that's exactly where eve came from so they're very very intended to be very close um together if you will kind of interesting it is interesting random fact um the rib grows back the 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 shell of the bone marrow does the rib is the only bone that will grow back to whatever right yep you're like uh, wolverine i randomly know this because that's i've had my bottom rib um taken with the shell left so that they could utilize the bone to take to put where they took my vertebrae out when i had back surgery when i was 16 so i have essentially four vertebrae that were taken out and they used my rib bone in between that to To ensure that I still had the spacing that I needed so I didn't lose, like, three inches of life. <laughs> Jen is a med- medical marvel. She, she had a pretty rare back surgery. And so I call her the $100 quadrillion woman because we can rebuild her. We can make her better. <laughs> it is funny, though. I never put that, like, together that, ad- you know, like, woman was made from rib and then that. I, that happened to me like so many years ago. So it's like been like 20 years now. <laughs> so really... With that, the first mention of the word wife is kind of where I was curious, like, where do we get this term wife? Like, the Bible first talks about man not being alone and wanting to make a woman, like, so that um, man has a helper. But, like, where does the term wife really come from? And so, um, so really, Genesis 2.24 is really the first mention of wife in the Bible, and it doesn't really explain, like what the term means it's mm-hmm. just like classifies her as a wife like automatically and you're just like yeah okay cool like woman <laughs> became wife so genesis two twenty i'll read that again that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh 
So, you know, it seemed like it was all going to be hunky-dory, and then Eve ate that fruit. (laughs) So, (laughs) that dang Eve. But what's (sighs) interesting, though, is that it's after she ate the fruit that Adam named Eve. So, he actually Mm. named Eve Eve. Mm. All right. All this stuff is happening, and, like, it's not explained. It's just like, well, you'll learn about it when you come up here someday, and we're just going to tell you what you need to know. And if you're a details person, then tough shit. It's, oh man, it, it's so difficult in our modern minds without knowing the Hebrew language, but all of this is very poetic in the original um, Hebrew that it was written in. Um, so it was so much easier for those who knew the original text to remember it. And it was very repetitive and kind of like a poem, how you can remember a poem. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner, you know, that kind of thing. So number one, they were <laughs> had an advantage over us. We have to like translate and then correlate that to their context 3,000 years ago or whatever. So anyway, um, number one, you were talking about why is she, or it's the first mention of wife. And then you said, what is that all about or whatever. So there's two terms that in Genesis 1 that's used and then another term that's used in Genesis 2 for the for woman. So the Genesis 1 version is just any. It translates to like the any of a of a not a belly button, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you have an any or an Audi, you know? Um, so it's a te- t- totally different word, nekeba. And then in Genesis 2, that wife uh, thing there is isha or, isha or isa, however you want to pronounce it. But it's basically a, a tra- transliteration um, into the female version of, like, if you've heard of the name Enosh or... Um, Esh, I think, is another, but it just basically means a man or a human. Okay. Uh, so when a live being, if you will. Um, so it's just like a female version of a live being. It doesn't. I mean, I'm sure it ha- holds a lot of other contexts, and when you hear it in its true context, it has a lot more meaning. But it's just essentially a different term. But just instead of calling her an any, it means more of like a, a human-related type way of knowing her. Interesting. Um. Yeah, so it's cool. So Moses gives us a side note here where he says, this is why we get married. He's like telling this whole narrative and all of a sudden he stops the story and says, listen up kids, this is why we get married. It's because the man, you know, we are created to complete the Adam is what he says, to create the man. So they come back to one flesh to to combine back into the one Adam or Adam Right, man, I hope you're listening, taking notes, <laughs> so, get to life without a woman, oh, we're amazing. Man. We, at least our mommy is, if not our wife is. <laughs> we make your life better. I know you, like, <laughs> take it as nagging. We give constructive criticism or constructive feedback. You can either implement it or you can choose to continue to be reminded. We will be remindful <laughs> for you for e- eternity. Like, we're either here way, for you. <laughs> we can't sit on the couch and read anymore. We gotta get up and do something. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lawns to be mowed. You're Mexican. Come on. Well, I do enjoy it. <laughs> well, so it's funny that you said that because, um, like, really, I found a couple of things that I thought were interesting. One, like, it's, it's a lie. Marriage is a 50 50 relationship, is like what's always told. Like, so when mm. you have. A marriage, um, Bible in it or not, if you want to look at it, and people are always, marriage is a 50-50 partnership. It takes two people to, like, want to contribute equally to the relationship. I mean, that's really a lie. It's really a hundred, hundred percent relationship. Oh, I don't just give 50%? No. (laughs) If you gave 50% at a job, (laughs) they would not pay you to come back to that job (laughs) the next day. So, I mean, no, it's a hundred percent. I mean, what did Michael Scott say that Wayne Gretzky said? Oh, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky. 
Michael Scott. See? There you go. That was on Geo's, like, cubicle oh, <laughs> forever. That was my motivation, like, just to not, like, suffer yeah. sadness. Made me laugh. Yeah, so it, it really is. It's a 100-100% relationship, and it takes two people fully committed, choosing every day to love and cherish each other. So, like, 50-50 is never going to be enough to get you through your hard times. And, you know, there's going to be days where maybe you only can get 50%, but the next day, wake up and, like, own your shit, man. So, yeah. <laughs> the reason I say that Jim's is just... Jim's talking to me right now, guys. I am. No, um, <laughs> the reason I say that is because I, I wanted to lead into something that I thought was really interesting. So, um, I mean, this this isn't talking about friendlessness, but mm. in Ecclesiastes 4.12, um, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Mm. So... The husband, the wife, and God um, as three strands, if you're viewing that. So, like, a, a true biblical marriage or a true um, marriage in the way God intended it, if you really want to have it, is, like, God created marriage for this purpose, and what he intended it for is, like, really for um, God to be involved in your marriage. So, like, if you think about that, um, about a cord of three strands is not quickly broken, and then you think about the husband, the wife, and God as those three strands. Oh, I was going to ask you who the third one was. Yeah, a couple more folks focused on God's naturally going to have that more blessed marriage because they're bound together, they're stronger, they're three strands. So, you know, they really are what Solomon talks about in that verse, um, that if you include God in your marriage and you're like, you're really focused on like what the purpose of your marriage is and not giving up on each other and like being a partner, because mm -hmm. that's really what a marriage is supposed to be as a partnership mm -hmm. because life's hard and you shouldn't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, like include like you yeah. have a great marriage like you if you're just focused on that like why they're they're using science experiments in the bible essentially they're saying hang a weight on the bottom of three strings if they're alone they're gonna break if they're intertwined together they'll hold strong it's exact replication of what you're saying right there yeah so like with that people can also utilize the bible for bad in a marriage as well oh yeah so there's a lot of different verses that people will cherry pick and utilize their their liking. So, for example, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do the Lord. But then they skip over the fact that just three verses down, it says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm. So, I mean... Why would you cherry pick one line and be like, you're supposed to submit yourself to me. I'm superior. It just because it doesn't say like husbands submit yourself. So it's husbands love, which I'm curious. I'm assuming that's another word for submission in some way. If you tie it back to like some Hebrew word, educate you're, me. You're right in all the turn, all the ways. <laughs> um, you, dude, there's like four points that I might drill on for for a second. I'll try to Go be as quick it. as possible though. You started in Ephesians chapter 5, and just to note that, it's kind of a commonly used um, reference um, for a lot of marriage counselors and clergy and pastors and stuff uh, working with marriages, and a lot of the common evangelical churches are basically telling their wives, like, submit to your husbands, and that's what the Bible says, and we can't disagree with the Bible, just right? Just gotta do it. <laughs> Nobody ever questioned the Bible except Jesus. I did forget to mention that even just four lines down from that other line, so mm -hmm. Ephesians 5.29, yeah. it talks about husbands and wives being equal. So first it's like, wives submit, then it's like, husbands, love your wives, they're submitting to you, Yeah. and then it's like, hey, y'all are the same, bro, 
Yeah. So anyway, so Sorry. what we're what we're yeah we're adding on to it here. <laughs> so what we're talking about here is do wives just automatically submit to their husbands because that's what the Bible says? Well, the the verse literally the verse right before where you just read wives uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The verse right before that it says submit same word to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not talking about men or women. It's talking to the Christian or the church who's Paul's writing to at the time. So it, the very first thing he says before we even get into marriage. Oh, I was going to ask if he was even referencing yeah, marriage. He's, he's talking about behavior in general throughout okay. the church that he's writing to at least Ephesus and they were having some troubles clearly. Well, That's why he was writing to them. The one commandment is love one another. So he's saying also to submit serve one another exactly it. so it's essentially the same the same word in verse 21 and 22 where it says the wives do it it also says everybody do it to each other so maybe paul is addressing something specific in that day time or location that is not supposed to be just applied to every single human being 2000 years later Maybe we need to look into the context and figure out why Paul is saying that in the first place. That's a good call out, but then why doesn't Paul say that to the husband? Yeah, like, why instead, does he change it up? A okay. Bit? And then point number two, which is very important, is um, so uh, I'm really into history, but there's been many letters um, found during the Roman times, which is the time that Paul is writing in. And they're basically letters making fun of um, elite politicians, even emperors of the time, making fun of them for actually falling in love with their wives. That was like frowned upon to actually fall in love with a woman. It meant you're a weak, soft man and you're, you know, you're falling for this, this like succubus or something. Um, so they would she got like... the voodoo magic. Yeah, they were like, this guy actually is, is like doting upon his wife and all these kind of things. And they're like snickering to each other in these letters, essentially. And so what Paul's addressing here is like, it's not bad to actually love the woman that you're unioned with for the rest of your life. You're supposed to like love, they're not your slave. But in those times, that was a, uh, like a revolutionary concept. Like, so when he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, that like would blow dudes' minds. Like, what do I? Hold on, she's my property. <laughs> How does it even get so skewed? Even so, like yeah. even from the time of of Noah's time, if you want to think about it, he had a wife, and so like you hear about all of these different people begot so and so, and then there's stories in the Your Bible wives. of love. Why did it get well, so is it broken love? by yeah. the time? You know, Paul's writing about it. What happened? Well, you're assuming the Bible talks about love when it's talking about these marriages. Um, yes, you hear of Abraham falling in, or like loving his beautiful wife. They said he was beautiful. She was beautiful. Sarah, or Sarah. Sarah, yeah. And then you hear his son um, Isaac picked out his cousin, and he was like really into her. But then he had to. He got tricked and had to work another seven years and get her the one he actually loved. So there is yes, you're correct. There and is, in the book of Ruth. And in Ruth, um, the dude loved Ruth that like slept at his feet with the sheaths of grain. That's a cool story. So there are mentions of that's basically why the Bible is addressing those. I think is is a big part of it is showing like this is what true love is. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were in those times though, you were just taught that you buy a woman, you pay for a woman, I should say, and then she's eventually yours. And then she's your property and she's your servant, but she also has your kids and, and you can, you know, 
color your wife and have fun with her in other ways. It was very, very skewed skewed back then as far as what we look at it today at least. So would you even consider them being any biblical men in that time or I guess sure. like a, well, what's, a what's major that? lacking of it considering <laughs> that they're not even like yeah. loving their wife or just treating them as property? The, even Is today. That even, yeah, even... Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I'm just curious if they were yeah. even practicing, like, Jewish laws or, like, any sort of customs at that time and, like, claiming to be godly men mm-hmm. at the same time as categorizing their wife in this yeah. so category of there's always property. Yeah, there's always what God, like, inten- intends for life and for us, which is good. Um, but then we, as a society and, and cultures throughout time, we always skew that ideal and make it what we think it should be, right? So even back then, though, there were there was the I think the Jewish version of marriage, the whole process of it was as close as possible of what people in that time had of what God intended. And I say that to mean, um, yes, the husband still paid for the wife and paid the father of the of the future wife for whatever. And there's that whole like problem still. But beyond that there's a waiting period from one to three or I think up to six years maybe where the the potential husband who's engaged to the woman goes back to his father's house and prepares a room if not like an addition to the house for he and his wife and his future family. Well during that time it's kind of the preparation and and the you know are you is this really going to happen and and so it's preparing the husband and wife for each other but it's also the husband is preparing a place at his house and I think that's indicative of what jesus says verbatim he says where i go i uh, go to my father's house and there are many rooms i'm prepare a room for you and there in my father's house there are many rooms so he's essentially saying you're my bride i'm going for our departure time for a while but when i come back to bring you home i'm taking you home with me it's going to be awesome so i i do think even though even the jewish people at that time probably skewed it to their version of paying for a woman there was still a hint of Jesus in there. It's kind of cool. That is cool. Now, on the other hand... <laughs> well, it does say... So, like, people try to utilize those verses against each other, but then Ephesians 5, 29 through 31 talks mm-hmm. about husbands and wives being equal. Um, 5, 31 through 33 specifically, for this reason a man will leave mm-hmm. his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the yeah. two will become one flesh. So it's really quoting Genesis. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a, like a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So, I mean, really he's talking about respect. And you said Paul wrote Ephesians as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um... So it, it's a mutual respect between each other. Yes. It's a partnership. Like, is that always going to be lustful or <laughs> whatever you feel like your definition of meeting somebody in your life is? Like, at least having not. sex seven <laughs> times a week. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have that at least five times a week, or I'm not a man. Um, so I thought that was interesting, but also. Apparently, finding a wife is good luck, just so that you're aware, because Proverbs, gotta love me some Proverbs. Proverbs, Who wrote Proverbs? Uh, Different people, but a lot of people think it was King Solomon, David's son. I like Solomon. I feel like he's He's a wise wise He's the wisest man ever. He was. That's what it it actually says. He's no Einstein. No, he is. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So, Proverbs 18.22 
He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Mm. Now let me say that louder for those in the back or those not listening, men. (laughs) He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Treat your women right, man. Proverbs says it. So with that, back to my original question as to why I made us do this whole biblical (laughs) marriage podcast that I'm sure everybody's going to be like, ooh, another podcast on biblical marriage, but that's not really (laughs) what I was curious about. The origin of the ceremony. So, like, why do we feel like we have to have this white dress and this veil and you have to have something borrowed and something blue and something old and something new (laughs) and there has to be marriage vows and best men and bridesmaids and, like, I just... Why? All right. So, so, um, you have to differentiate between civil and religious or... God-focused union. So there are the ones where you vow to God to be one and be become one flesh, become a union, right? And then there's ones where it the governmental authorities will recognize you as a legal couple, so legality if you will. A lot of times those are combined into the same wedding ceremony, but a lot of times people just either don't believe in God or don't want to practice a certain religion or whatever the reasons may be. So, when you're looking at biblical marriage, you're talking about the promise to God of union, right? Um, they, there are passages in the Bible, kind of like we were talking about how Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, they all, you know, they all get their, their dames. <clears throat> they have to go and work for them or pay for them and, and all these different things. So, um, yeah, the story I was talking about, he works seven years for one, gets tricked into the wrong one, so he has to work another seven years for the other one. Now that is that's got to be some hot chick or something like to work fourteen years for her. Well, and by the time fourteen years pass, what does she look like? Yeah, he was probably old already, <laughs> so she's like all. Oh, she's still thing. worth it. Yeah, <laughs> she's she lost the youth of her, her her body. She's Giselle. <laughs> yeah, maybe she's just Giselle and just always gonna be never ages. But anyway, so um, they do talk about procedures and ceremonies and Jesus even attend the first miracle he ever, ever uh, performed was in a wedding so it does talk about certain aspects of weddings throughout the Bible but it's never uh, not necessarily prescriptive outside of the the law from Moses but there there's not necessarily like Paul doesn't say you have to find the right preacher and then find the church that you want and then Sing Ave Maria after your, you know, there's no prescriptive or prescribed way of doing it. By the way, Will Ferrell, best version of that song ever. Um, Okay, so you bring a really good point that I didn't take into consideration when you talk about the ceremonies that were in the Bible. And I didn't even think about, like, when Jesus first called his mom woman that I came to know. (laughs) Woman? Woman. And she's like, we're out of wine. What do I do? And he's just like, woman. I love how we all just assume, like, woman is how he said it instead of, like, kindly woman. But that's just how I interpret it when I read the word, like, woman. Exactly. That's what I think of, too. I'm just like, woman, why are you bothering me? It's not my time yet. Exactly. Girl, why are you tripping? Sit down. I don't know why. And then she's still like, he's fussy, but he's going to do it. Don't worry. So, like, even Jesus, when he was here, he didn't point out that the ceremony was wrong so is it expected that like we have some sort of like ceremonial event to like (laughs) that's what i love about jesus is he doesn't come to judge or be like 
Oh, this is really bad. You should have saved your money for. He's not like, de down like de de Debbie weird. Downer. <laughs> How much was this wedding? Wah, wah. <laughs> he's not like that. He came to show light and give light to the world, but he's not just walking around like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. He's like trying to help people. And so he was probably there for a close friend and just trying to like show his support for them. It doesn't say if he supported the wedding or if he was like, it should really just be under a chopa. Just the two of you and a rabbi. No, he was making wine and, and helping them celebrate. So I think Jesus is really into um, human community and love and sharing happiness. And so he was totally fine with it, I'm sure. The party's great. The more the merrier. Yeah, if he's making more wine, so it's got to be going good. Don't listen to this, kids that want to throw house parties. <laughs> We're talking about Welch's sparkling grape juice when we say wine. All right, so anyway... Um, so civil versus the, so basically we're talking legal when you're asking these, these, um, all these celebrations and picking the, this, the nuts, and then you get into the cultural things throughout the generations. And I don't even know where the something blue, something old and grab your grandma's. It's something borrowed, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. I have no idea. And I should have looked yeah. this up, but I just don't, don't care do them, at all. It's bad luck, apparently. <laughs> right, right. I remember that. I don't think I did all of them. We talked about it. We talked about it because we're like, well, do we have something blue? And we're like, this is like, it was like a blue beetle or something. I don't know. But I think we did a talk about beetle. it. It was <laughs> something random. We're like, here it is. Ha ha. Okay, we did it. I'm old. You're, we're a new couple. You know, we did something silly. But it's just... You could call it superstition, but it, it, sometimes it's just a tradition. Yeah. The garter, yeah. the... No, the garter is necessary. How dare you? You would say that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the bouquet toss. There's, like, there's just so yeah. many. And, like, in Jewish customs, like, don't they, like, smash glass or something like that? Well, uh, yeah, like, well, I know in Greece, they're like, opa, or yeah. whatever. And I know they do that in uh, Jewish... In, Jewish culture too, yeah. It's just interesting because those are traditions, and like yeah. we hold on to those traditions to life, just like we would like traditions of celebrating the Lord, like in Easter and Christmas and those types of holidays and events. Like we do, like that's mm -hmm. tradition, but we hold marriage in the same type <laughs> of tradition. Like, yeah. so here's an interesting thing though. So, I th I don't want to like d just downcast it, but um, so for example, a lot of people in Christian ceremonies today. They'll either do the candle lighting where the two flames become one or they'll combine the sand. And that can be a spiritual meaning too, basically saying we're two families that are combining into this one and then if you the mothers blow out the candles, so they're no longer the leaders of that family. They're give, handing off leadership to a new family that's a combined new family. Same with the sand. The, they pour the sand in, and now it's just one new family. But that's family. not even what the Bible says to do either. But it, it tells it is husband a, and wife to become one flesh. Not exactly. Not like family and family. I'm not talking about family. I'm talking about the family is handing off those children to become ah, their own family. I got you. I was like, that would just get really confusing if you think about it. Now, point stepper on her, if I may. <laughs> um, no, so it is essentially becoming one flesh. The, the two flames become one flame. The two pieces or colors of sand become one jar of sand. So anyway, the spiritual aspect of those ideas are still there. So maybe those something blues and something borrowed things had some spiritual impact on that person when they were created back in the day and so you never know it could have started as a just a pure-hearted thing and then now it's like a must that every bride has to do or they're gonna you know, bridezilla you know all that kind of stuff it's weird 
<laughs> it's just too much nowadays, and it puts too much pressure on the poor woman, if not anyone else. Like, that woman's the most stressed out of anybody during the wedding. There's a lot well, of stuff that you have to remember, and yeah. there's a checkbox of things that you have to have to get married. Apparently, you have to have something blue. Nothing blue goes with your wedding dress if it's white, and, like, you have a white veil and all of that stuff. What blue? The garter? I mean, come on. If that's the only thing that could be blue, garters would only be blue. <laughs> so... I'm also curious then, like, you have this ceremonial event, um, as you alluded to, it's different by culture, it's different by law, so, like, kind of whatever your view is on it, does it ever say in the Bible, like, where the actual ceremony originated from? Like, if there, or if we just (laughs) had ceremonies, like, or was there, like, you should have a ceremony to celebrate the the sheep that didn't get lost. (laughs) The Bible, in, in, um, the first five books of the, the Bible, which are assumed to be written by Moses, he does, um, talk about men wanting to marry women. So it is addressed as far as the, this is what Israel should do, um, under this law that Moses gave them. So there is that, but as far as the Bible goes, it doesn't really address the whole ceremony, like the whole outside world going on thing. But from the first, you know, inscriptions and carvings in stone that we can unearth, they're showing uh, wedding ceremonies of different sorts or um, records of what was traded for the bride. And, you know, so there was always some sort of ceremony and transaction involved throughout history, but they vastly differed throughout time that I mean there's so many different I mean you go to Afghanistan today and it's going to look totally different than you know here so yeah interesting so moral of the story the ceremony is optional <laughs> I recommend it being optional <laughs> <laughs> so but then like you also have this whole other dark side of a biblical marriage topic that ties into like how people can utilize it for evil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like domestic violence. Ooh, like there's yeah. always um, certain verses that some men will utilize to justify their actions in anger. Um, and or at so, least, yeah, prote- like protect themselves from repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have a couple I can read, but I'm just curious, like do you feel like it's because they just misinterpret what the Bible's trying to tell mm-hmm. them and they don't know what they don't know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, is it just easy to be like, the Bible says this, this is what I'm going to do? Um, because, let me find. So, like, um, so as I read earlier with, like, Ephesians, for example, in the passages um, 5, 21 through 33, it's talking about, like, a submission of the husband and wife mm-hmm. out of love for Christ, but like they're we address that a little. They're bit. utilizing it mm-hmm. incorrectly, and then um, in like from Genesis two to three, many take that as generalizing women hit women to be like submissive and and subject to dis- discipline and like you know like your Adam's helper only. Oh, like, help me thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess so. You. Like, oh, can I address that one real quick? Um, I made a note on this, and we didn't get to it. Yeah. But as far as the helper term, yeah. That ter- that word in the Hebrew is ezer, and it basically means help meet or helper. And it's used 21 other times in the Old Testament. And every other time it's used, it's referring to God being a help meet to man. Or, or you know, all those types of terms. So it's not necessarily a submissive woman as a help meet. They are completing or they're providing a spiritual welfare for the other that they're with. 
So that's kind of cool. It's not just like, oh, you're my helper. Get over here, helper, and sweep <laughs> Do the... Do what I tell you yeah. to. Anyway. No, that that's cool. So, so with that, I guess, like, 1 Corinthians is where I was going because that's where um, a lot of the misinterpretation can come for, like, abuse justification. So, like, 1 Corinthians 7.3, it says the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband's. Mm. Um, first Corinthians ah. 11, eight through nine for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Um, and like, really, I'm pretty sure this book was talking about like covering the head during worship or something. So like something completely different than the context that it's being taken. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then like Colossians gives instructions for Christian households. And it also talks about wives submitting yourselves to your mm -hmm. husbands, um, as fitting in the Lord. And so it, and then it goes into husbands, love your wives again. So like mm -hmm. how I, I just, I guess I struggle to see like how people can like literally take these as lines that can justify like why they feel like females should be like held mm -hmm. at a lower standard than a male because that's not at all what any of these verses say or what the context is utilized for. So do you feel like it's ignorance or false teachings, like false prophets leading these people to believe these things? Or how do we get such a disconnect in what this book was trying to talk about versus like how people are taking it? Yeah, so um, it's crazy that... Um, I think it's crazy that these are used and have been used throughout time since they were written to, against mainly against women. It's never the man that's the losing party in this. Um, and I do think that Paul was addressing a specific specific churches in a specific culture in a specific time. Um, when he's writing about women submitting to their husbands, for example, once again, he already mentioned submit to everyone. Serve everyone the same. But wives submit to your husbands. There was a, a problem with... Um, if the husband was unbelieving and the wife started becoming a believer, should she leave her husband at that point? Or should she still stay with him and, and try to influence him? And, and I think there's some additional passages on that as well. But that's one specific thing we could talk about right there. Well, if people are curious about that, like, honestly, you should read 1 Corinthians 7. Because that just gives you 16 verses on basically how you should view your marriage and like what a married life should look like. And I'm not yep. going to read all of this <laughs> to you all, but it does talk about like, and if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him mm -hmm. for the unbelieving husband has mm -hmm. been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her unbelieving husband. Otherwise your women, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy but if an unbeliever leaves, let it be so. So it's kind of like if they're like, they don't want any part of it, and they're like, you're kooky, and they go, like, good riddance, don't let the door hit you in the ass. <laughs> but, like, you should never be like, well, because you don't believe what I, I believe, believe, I can't be with you anymore. Because right. you chose that person. Like, you guys are unified in one flesh for a reason, and you can't just go back on that promise just because they're not aligned with your views at that point. And that doesn't mean that they won't mm. get to that point, and maybe you're the person to, like, show them the light. Yep. I don't know. That that's I won't get into all of that because I mean it's it's a lot. It's sixteen verses. It talks about sexually um, relation, sexual immorality, immora morality, um, like separation. Um, it, it's a really good book if you're curious about that. So yeah, no, I, 
that's one right there where one verse in a, in some some chapter says one thing that you would that one assumes, and then you read another chapter and it clarifies it even more. Where you're like, oh, it's not probably I'm yeah okay yeah I'm an idiot. But we have this mindset because we're raised in whatever world and tradition we're in, and that's what we see the world as, and that's not necessarily how God sees the world. So who wrote Colossians? Yes. Paul. Yeah. Who wrote Corinthians? Yes. Paul. Yeah. Okay, so Paul wrote most of the New <laughs> Testament. That's what you said. Okay. Yeah. I said Colossians. Who wrote first, first like, Peter? Oh, that wasn't one of the things. I guess it is. Mm-hmm. First Peter? <laughs> Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it was Peter. It was um, Peter. So, that's interesting. Yeah, so now that we kind of brought it up, what... Okay, so number one, it says husbands love your wives as Jesus loves his church or loves his people, right? So, number one, it should be the on us on the men. How do we, number one, live up to Jesus and, like, loving... He died the worst death ever knowingly for his his bride. How does a man expect to live up to that? So, when a man starts being opposite of what Jesus would be to his church, at what point does that woman have to step away. So therefore, if your husband makes a selfish decision, unlike Jesus, what should a wife do in response, and how many times should she allow that selfish decision, including abuse, be made before she steps away? And then we get into the the ideas of divorce. That's a lot of um, heaviness yes. with the <laughs> divorce view, because um, it, I mean, it like strictly says that you shouldn't be divorced, but then, like, you and I are both a product of divorce, so it's hard to mm-hmm. to really know, like, it, it, I feel like it's situational dependent, like, based yeah. off of, like, everybody's situation, and... Yeah, you, you said it earlier, like, um, if, a, if a man is abusing his wife, should, like, that, the churches use that as an excuse to wife stay with your husband no matter what. We know that can't happen sometimes. That's just, no, like, abuse, verbal abuse, um, at what point when he's stepping out on you so much. Like, you know, there's all these reasons why it's probably a valid reason it's healthier for both of you to step away from each other. Yeah, that relationship's not bringing either of you closer to God, yeah. so why why the, continue it? And so the question Makes is, sense. how and when should a man divorce? And Are you Jesus, trying to tell me you want to divorce me? I Am I abusing you too much? I didn't want to say it on the thing, but I guess, you know. I only abuse you, like, twice a week. You hit me Ugh, in the just, face. You play slug bug way too hard. <laughs> I can't help it. It's retaliation. So. Yes, so divorce. Matthew. New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Um, he They kind of address this directly with Jesus. So, the Pharisees come and trying to trap Jesus like this guy they're thinking to themselves is way too graceful he's like forgiving tax collectors and prostitutes and hanging out with all kinds of fools right he's just way too graceful and forgiving we'll catch him in the act here okay ready and then they they if you turn to chapter 19 just starting in, in verse um, 1 oops what book of Matthew okay. chapter 19 verse 1 um so the Pharisees, let's just start in verse 3 because he goes somewhere basically. <laughs> Pharisees come near tempting him and say, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then Jesus says, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, 
and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus comes right back at him and says, well, don't you guys know the scriptures yourself? Because it says this, and he reads directly from Genesis that we just read, right? And then he goes, uh, and then he exits out of his narrative, and, and Jesus says, so there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If you stop right there, and you're a really hardcore Bible thumper, that says, women, you have no reason whatsoever to leave your husbands. And that's been used many, many times. And once again, I don't want it to sound like I'm supporting divorce, but I do want to protect people that are at risk and mental health and all these issues that could happen to them if they stay in a divorce. So, but, so if you stop right there, can't get a divorce, ladies. But if you keep going, and then they go, why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So the Pharisees are saying, well, then if that's the case, if never divorce is good, why does Moses say that they can get divorced? You can, there's a, there was a legal in the law to allow men to divorce their wives. And Jesus just straight up, he's like, you guys are, here it is. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. You're the, he goes, it's the literal translation is Moses, for your stiffness of your heart did suffer you to put away your wives. So Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, allows you to do that. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So he's, he kind of like changes it up on him and says, well, Moses had to because you guys are never going to live up to perfection. So God's ideal perfection is a man and a wife, uh, you know, two people become one flesh. That's the ideal, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're in a fall, like, this world is not perfect. So obviously, it's going to happen. Um, so then he goes into, like, literal, like, their legal reasonings, like, you know, anybody who's sexually immoral is committing adultery. And the disciples said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, is it better not just to, is it better to just not marry at all then? And Jesus replies, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. So he's basically just saying, like, this is beyond what most of your guys are going to comprehend. But what I'm saying is... God's ideal is two people becoming one. You guys can't make that work every time. Um, but there are these things that can happen to you that might harm you if you do things outside of the intended marriage. So he's addressing the Pharisees saying, you guys are wrong. It's like you can get, I mean, you can get divorced, but it's not just because God wanted it to happen. Same he's just giving you grace. Exactly. He's giving you grace to do it just like Jesus did through all the other people. Boom. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> what other... Do you have any uh, specific things on divorce that you had looked up or anything like that? Not on divorce, but more around, like, forgiving and dealing with differing views. Boom. Because Let's go there. Because I think people should honestly, like, think about forgiveness first before their brain goes there. I, I mean, everybody has their reasons, and I'm not here to judge by any <laughs> means, and... If your husband's cheating on you, then, yeah, like, be safe and leave that. Slash um, two holes in his guitar. What yeah, is the I mean, song? Carrie Underwood will tell you all about what to do. All four tires. pretty something. sure Miranda Lambert has a song in there, too, that can give you some great instructions. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm oh, just positive and like to, like... <laughs> what's, what's that saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Yeah, I mean, like, it is what it is, man. It's, don't it's don't piss off a woman. She'll slash your tires truth anyway sorry so um so i just looked up some verses around like forgiveness and like dealing with the different views and like um 
I mean, really, these are applicable not just necessarily in the marriage, but they're applicable in life and, like, how you should love one another. And that really does go hand-in-hand hand with your marriage. Like, you're, you're, that's your partner. They're your other half. So, like, this is most applicable in my, my eyes to them, even though, like, that's not what the whole point of it was. But mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all of the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All of your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life, and your toilsome labor under the sun. I'm sorry, I have to laugh, because meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Oh my gosh. It's like or is like, go ahead and just be nice, but it's just meaningless. Did Paul write Ecclesiastes too? No, that's the Old Testament I was going to say, did he have a bad day that day? What <laughs> happens? Because like, that book, yeah. and I really love Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's It's a really good book. But it is, it's very, it's like Proverbs, like, evil tw- evil twin, I guess is yeah. what I would say. Because yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Proverbs is all like do this and you'll parallels get that. and like, yeah. uh, you know, about sleeping on a roof and things like that. And then like <laughs> you've got Ecclesiastes that's like just like meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Um, okay, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's one of my favorites. Mm. So... I mean, there's just, there's plenty of verses that do talk about, like, forgiveness and, like, not letting the sun go down while you're angry. And, like, I mean, that right there, what do you think that's talking to? (laughs) Like, you're angry at the person at the market for dropping your orange on the floor before they put it in a bag? I don't know. I mean, that's just a stupid example because... My the girl that was sacking her groceries this week totally dropped her limes and then she looked at me and I go it's fine I'm gonna wash them anyways <laughs> but she looked at me like whore like and then then pull, <laughs> Jen pulled out her butterfly knife and held it up she's like do it again yeah I think she was surprised when I was like it's fine I'm gonna wash them anyways <laughs> I'm like she, I think she basically put on like her last leg like oh my god I'm gonna get fired if I fuck up again <laughs> so but I mean like really you. Do not let the sun go down when you're angry. Yeah. It's not about the person at the supermarket. It is about those people that mean the most to you. If the sun's going down on you before, like, it's probably saying, like, get up and go talk to them. Yep. It's not saying, like, in those days you couldn't call them. So it had to have been somebody close to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. So. I like that. So um, on top of that, because a lot of those that you just addressed with forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, it has to do with mistrust or even confusion or whatever but all of that stems from fear and i think it's indicative to point out the humanity of joseph and mary in the bible too so the very story of jesus birth it mentions in matthew chapter one joseph almost divorces mary but's told by the angel don't do it um like he doesn't rebuke joseph or says like you're an idiot for divorce she's clearly impregnated by the spirit no the god understands you are fearful of something and so the angel actually says don't fear and then he says she's pregnant from the lord all this stuff but his main address is don't fear and i think fear is a big catalyst for all these marital problems is like even if our intentions for each other are the best if we might think the opposite of the other person's thinking about us then we start fearing and then we try to make up for that and it just kind of spirals into this ball and so i think a lot of the stuff if you just stop and take a moment and i'm not speaking to you i'm speaking to myself just as much but if i stop and took a moment and said what am i afraid of right now why am i getting escalated with my wife or with my close friend or whatever and it's usually based in some kind of fear of shame or whatever happens to be 
Yeah, I mean, like, we're walking insecurities and balls of anxiety and stress. <laughs> so you're always going to project that onto other people yeah. and, like... And social media makes it terrible. They looked at me weird. Or, oh, I hate social media for that reason. I, that's why I don't have any social media on my phone anymore. I have to go to the computer or my iPad if I want to do that because... Are we better than the Joneses? It's not healthy. Yeah. It's really not. You see things, it hurts your feelings. It shouldn't hurt your feelings, but it does. It's just... Oh, social media is the worst. <laughs> so, fun fact to end on, though. Um, I found this interesting because I just, I feel a little gypped that I didn't know this sooner. But the famous love is patient, love is kind, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. And people utilize it as their wedding vows. And they're incorporating God into their ceremony. It's not about marriage. It's not talking about marriage at all. Like, it's literally not about marriage. So, I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to tell me what you think it's about. Got it. So, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So why do people use that in their vows if it's not about marriage? Sounds beautiful. I know. So that's hilarious because that you point that out because every Christian wedding I've ever gone to, they read something out of that at some point. Oh, yeah. I think like I've gotten like wedding gifts with that <laughs> on it. <laughs> it's like the go-to. Guy. Oh, yeah. It's, but, yeah, it's... Well, just, I didn't buy them for other people. I oh, received them. Oh, okay. Okay, good. It's like giving a fruit cake at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. No, you're right. Like, it has just as much to do with your best friend, your close friend, your church, your fellow churchmen, everybody you interact with. Love, the goppy love that they're talking about there is not just, like, erotic love for your lover. It's the self-giving love. Boom. That's a good point. I mean, like, people confuse love and lust There's all four, the time. There's four versions of love in the Greek that we all turn into the word love. I love pizza. I love you. I love Star Wars. No, those are all different things, right? Um, so you have to really understand that that love there is... It obviously does correlate with marriage as well, but it's not just about marriage. It's about loving everyone like that. Yeah. Um, but you know what they should read in weddings? <laughs> is like Bible erotica. So hear me out. What? Hear me out. Is there even such a thing? Number one... Look it up, everybody. Song of Solomon. It's in the wisdom books, like Proverbs and all that, in that same area. It's called Song of Solomon. If you want to get rowdy one night, let's read that together. Number two, I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to go with a hard pass. <laughs> oh, it's good. Dude, I'll read you a passage in a second if you want, but... I would prefer that. I'm going to read you this one from, from Proverbs real quick. and Catch the innuendos in here, if you will. The sexual connotations, if you will. Like Proverbs. People should pray for me now. <laughs> Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice because of the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her loves or let her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated in her love. Even your dog was disgusted with what you read. So, she just got up and growled at you and turned. So homie's like... <laughs> Check out those boobies on your wife and stop looking at the other chick. Now, Song of... Oh, my gosh. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. 
I'm just, I just flipped to a random page here and it says, All night long on my bed I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. And this stuff goes on chapter after chapter. It's basically Solomon and this chick writing letters to each other. But they get, like, rowdy. It's like, um, man, I, I'm trying to find, like, the word breast in here. Somewhere. But, yeah, it, get, it gets rowdy. It gets, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> kids don't read Song of Solomon. Yeah, like old day porn where, like, you had, like, good housekeeping according to Wilbur. Yeah. But it's funny because a lot of times he's like, lead me to your flower. Because they're not going to say, like, let me see that ad. You know, they're, like, they're getting a little bit more conservative in here. But when you read the innuendos, it's insane, dude. That's hilarious. I feel like I need to, like, read the Bible in its entirety. But I every time I read a new chapter of the Bible, I need you to tell me, like, exactly, like, <laughs> who wrote it, what they were thinking, what time it was in, who were they writing it to, and were they being a perv? I'm going to guess Song of Songs. I should written... have to add that to my list, the last <laughs> one. That's really sad. You Ooh. ruined the Bible for me. Bible erotica. It's in there, bro. <laughs> it's like the, the so my dad wrote a porno I think we referenced that last time we found this like British sitcom oh, gold where this so um, these three friends were like made a podcast and it, basically it was him reading his dad's pornographic mm -hmm. novel it, it's really funny <laughs> yeah it's basically whoever so Solomon's son was was probably like dad please stop reading this stuff out loud in church I'm gonna have to know this for the next four years <laughs> in synagogue i should say that is too uh, funny well good yeah. information that was a good one um so kids we're not getting a divorce don't worry so in summary we don't really know where the ritualistic part of all this came um really the bible talks about what marriage is what it should mean and you know it really is a union he, uh, there's a lot of different verses that quote back to genesis where it talks about becoming one flesh mm -hmm. and like the two of them you know are one mm -hmm. and so like the ceremonial parts just something that's not really explained like we like to party it's partied in the bible upon we got fish we got wine jesus called his mom woman woman um, and we just have carried on that tradition and made a lot of new traditions in the meantime about give me something blue or I need something borrowed. And I don't blah, think it's blah. bad if it's a celebration, but when it becomes a, a task and a burden, chill. Enjoy yourselves. Yeah. It's a celebration. Enjoy yourselves. No, but this was good information. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you too. Mm -hmm. Love Thanks. you.